right. Okay. Questions, complaints um, from this morning's message. Yes, Alyssa. Where is Marinara's Trench? <clears throat> it's uh, it's south of Italy. Is it's, it in Italy? <laughs> it's it's in the Postable, uh, which is a um, crater in this in the Mediterranean, right next to Italy. Um, yes. Is it yes. near Alfredo? Uh, yes, it's near Alfredo, and uh, I don't know why the demons wouldn't want to go to the Marinara <laughs> Trench. Um, yes, Anna. Um. More serious question. I'm just curious, like, where do you get the number 2,000? Oh, Mark. If, um, Mark. Yeah. No, no, no. Excellent. Because you Tur- mentioned um, Legion men. Yeah. No, no, it might be 5,600. I mean, when you're dealing with Legion, it's enough that that's an appropriate designator. So it, uh, there's no way... The term Legion specifically referred to a group of Roman troops that was 5,600 in, in size. So clearly it would be completely unfitting for it to be responding to five demons or Legion. Now, could it be 4,000, 7,000, or even 2,000? Maybe. Um, but if you go to Mark chapter um, 5, we get the parallel account of this event um, in Mark. And Mark also makes it clear this is the Decapolis, which is a, a section of uh, 10 Greek cities on the edge of Galilee. And so in Mark 5, we'll pick it up in verse um, 13. Um, so he gave them permission. The unclean spirits came out, entered the pigs, and the herd numbered about 2,000. So that's where we get the number 2,000 from. The assumption we're making, and granted, we're guessing at how demon possession works. Or, or, I think these are sound inferences, but uh, the logic is only one demon could possess one pig. One demon couldn't simultaneously possess five pigs. That's the assumption. So the assumption is you've at least got a one-to-one correspondence between demons and pigs, quite possibly more, which is why I put in my blank, 2,000 or more demons. That's basically the estimation. Yes, Kevin. Oh, he's, he's waiting. He's keeping the rules. All right. Okay, so a couple things on that. Um, in, on Luke 29, it says, specifically an unclean spirit came out of him. So how is it singular there, there but yet then it, Later on down, it says uh, multiple. Sure. No, no, Luke does that. If you, let's look through Luke um, 8. It'll jump back and forth in the singular and the plural. In Greek grammar, you can have a singular noun representing a group. So he said to him, well, is it, the person talking isn't the man, it's the demons in the man. Don't send to us. Yet it's he said to him instead of they said to him. So Luke's choosing grammatically to let a singular noun represent a group of people, which is more common and more possible in Greek than in English. It seems odder to us. But yeah, he, he flips back and forth between dealing with them as a single unit, that legion. There's a legion, not legions. There's one group, the demon. But yeah, clearly it's... It's a group, even when you use the singular nouns. I don't have a better explanation than just okay. saying Greek's more forgiving of that than English. Okay. Let's and, go further. And then on, I know that this is very unclear to, in a lot of cases, but how <laughs> is it that a legion of demons can possess one human, but only one demon can possess one 
pig. Oh, I don't know that at all. That's why I said. It, that's why I said. That's the assumption we're making, okay. is that there has to be a one-to-one -one correspondence. I don't know that. I mean, granted, I'm assuming that. Well, how are we assuming that if a legion of them is in a human? How, why would we assume that only one would us would? Because because that's moving in the exact opposite direction. If if a person is a big enough reservoir to hold thousands of demons. It doesn't then, you're moving in the opposite direction to say a demon's large enough to possess thousands of pigs. If anything, the picture is the space per demon is small. There could be multiple That's the assumption. These are all like, That's the idea. <laughs> yeah, something along those lines. Now, there's those two thoughts, Kevin. It could be, who knows? I mean, like I said at the beginning, I unapologetically admit. I don't get demon psychology, and I don't have a fair, I don't have a terribly, I mean, beyond what's written, I mean, here's, let me just pause and say, whenever you're dealing with the angels and demons, I strongly encourage you not to speculate, because every single time, and without exception, I get to peek behind the curtain of what angels and demons are up to, I go, yeah, I wouldn't have guessed that. So you've got Job, the angels are appearing before God, and there's Satan in heaven talking to God. Wouldn't have guessed that. Then you get to Daniel chapter 9, and when Daniel um, prays for the vision that he's had, he wants an interpretation, and he waits 30 days, and the angel shows up. He says, oh, Daniel, you are regarded in heaven, and from the very first day that you prayed, I was sent, but lo, the prince of the power of Persia withstood me, and he, we contested for 30 days until Michael was sent. Like, there's a 30-day wrestling match between an angel and a demon who's sent on a mission. Like, What? Okay, I guess that's what they do. And so on and so forth. And Jude talks about Michael and Satan having a conflict over the body of Moses, the dead body of Moses. Again, every time I see what angels are up to, I go, okay. So I freely recognize that if we're not told explicitly, speculation is a very, very tenuous thing. So even my speculation that there has to be one demon per pig at least is entirely that speculation. I don't know. That's... Free, freely admit. Who is it? Greg wants. To, Greg needs a mic. One of the curious things to me, I guess, is that they need to be, indwell anything. A demon is just a fallen angel. Yep. Correct. Yes. So they don't need to possess anything. So the 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 curious thing is why did they desire to be in the pig instead of just be freed? Yeah. And what happened to them when they? When the pigs went into the ocean, right, or the sea, rather, right, um, they just yeah. No, I got a, I have a couple theories. I don't know. What, I don't know. What, I mean, this is again. I didn't want to bring this out in the sermon because I don't know. But um, it's one theory is this: possibly as a as a they're so terrified of Jesus and they're so terrified of the prospects of being sent to the abyss. And I think the reason they're terrified of that is I think there are some demons that are already there. Jude talks about there are some demons um, in chains, heavy chains reserved for darkness because they did not keep their proper abode. But we can get into that. But there's some, some angels, some demons have sinned in such a way that they've been judged by being sent to the abyss now. And the other demons are aware of that, which is why I think in Mark's account they say, are you here to send us to the abyss before the appointed time? Like, not now. Um, so... They're terrified of that. Perhaps one's possibility is, if you want to punish us, send us in the pigs. We'll do that. Like, somehow there's a humiliate. I don't know. I'm guessing. I don't know. It opens up the whole notion of animal possession. I mean, next time you see a crazy acting squirrel, do you have to seriously consider 
the possibility. I mean, maybe that's what was going on with Azuka. I don't know, you know? Um, no, I mean, it just opens a whole world of what? So what maybe, the, and, and then why would they kill them? Now, it's not certain the demons intended to kill the pigs. Um, the same verb for the man was driven into the desert is the same verb used for the pigs were driven down the slope. But it could be such that the torment and the anguish is so great the man just ran out to the desert as opposed to the demon saying, go to the desert. And it could just be the pigs are so distraught and so upset that even though the demons had intended to get away or something, the pigs just run down the slope. Or it just could be the demons wanted to destroy the pigs, or one commentator even suggested that the demons were, like, as a trade, going to get rid of these pigs off of the... This is the Holy Land. And it's like, kind of like, we'll do you a favor, we'll go destroy the pigs for you. If you just don't send us the... I don't know. I mean, those are... Yeah, I don't know. I know from a narrative point what it serves. It, without the destruction of the pigs, you don't get a big crowd of people. Without the destruction of the pigs, you don't have the proof that the man is delivered. And you don't gather everyone from the surrounding countryside. So I know from a, a narrative and a ministry standpoint what it does. I just have no idea what their motivation is in wanting to get in the pigs. Because the guy in chapter 4 who the demon came out of just left him and didn't do anything. Zeb is going to say something to this. It occurs to me um, that the, the the demons are clearly under the command of Christ in some regard. Oh yeah. Um, that some regard. He tells. Well, <laughs> yeah. I'm, oh yeah. So. Um, so the what it, it occurs to me that this could be a. I mean, Jesus went and intentionally healed you know, sick people on the Sabbath to have confrontations with the Pharisees. Mm -hmm. It seems to me like this could very easily be, okay, I'm going to send this legion of demons into this herd of pigs so that I can have a confrontation with these people and show them who I am. Oh, no, no. I, certainly Jesus' motivation. And why did Jesus say, you'd be amazed at how many people have such a hard time for those poor pigs and the poor pig farmers and like just wrestling with this. Um, no, Jesus' motivation in why would he grant the request? They're his pigs. He wants to draw a crowd, and he wants to prove what's happened. And I think quite possibly he wants to expose their love of money and their love of their this world and f show them that you are more interested in keeping your job and your 9 to 5 and everything smooth than you are about me. I, I, got, I, got, I can speculate about Jesus' motivations. I just don't know why the demons would want to play along with that. What they're hoping what they hope the benefit of going into pigs is as opposed to just getting out of here um you know I, maybe maybe it's just one of those desperate things he's going to send us in the abyss can, can we go over there i don't know again i i don't know yes dania yeah i think like in the bible it talks about like you are more valuable than many sparrows so I believe he's trying to show his love toward him and say, like, I'm going to save you from these demons and yeah. I'm going to spare these pigs because I love you or just oh, show love. No, absolutely. It, it shows yeah. that in Jesus' mind, this man's more valuable than 2,000 pigs. Absolutely. The, the question yeah. some people are asking is, why not just say to the demons, no, you can't go in the pigs. Get out of him. Well, getting them in the pigs proves that this isn't just this guy having a good period of time. It proves that he's not just having a good afternoon. And you wouldn't have a massive crowd of, from the Decapolis coming without that. The herdsmen wouldn't run just because this. They'd go home and tell people they got done their work, but they're not going to leave 2,000 pigs just to go tell people that the madman's not acting mad anymore. But they are going to yell at everybody when the pigs run down the slope. 
So absolutely. But no, it, it's, it's showing his worth. It's doing all of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Donna in the back. The pe- more importantly, the people online cannot. Sarah Braun cannot. Chris Dion cannot. Um, Aaron Vaughn cannot. So these are some people I know who listen to the okay, podcast. Okay, I got it. Okay. It's not that I wasn't listening to the sermon, but sometimes something said, does this happen to anybody else? And what do he say? Do I talk quickly sometimes? What? Do I talk quickly sometimes? You what? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> well played, well played. Yes. Anyway, um, I, I didn't understand. I thought you said some people are born of the devil, but then I think you corrected it. So what, no, what no, did you say? What I was saying, go to John 8. Go to John 8. What I was talking about in the context that nowhere in the Gospels that I see are the people afflicted by demons held morally culpable for being in that state. Okay, let me say that again. Nowhere that I can see in the Bible are people who are demon-afflicted held morally responsible for being in that state. So Jesus can rebuke the man who is... um, Jesus can say to the man who is paralyzed, who uh, he healed in John 5... Sin no more, lest something worse happen to you, which seems to insinuate this paralyzation was the result, a judgment, a discipline on something you did. So the Bible can recognize that people can be disciplined with disease and sickness. We even read about how Paul said, many of you are sick and dying because you're not eating the Lord's table properly. Nowhere do I see you might get a demon because of something you do. The modern assumption seems to be don't play D&D, don't read, play with a Ouija board, you know, don't get involved with the occult because you might get a demon. Now, I'd say don't play, you know, don't play with the occult simply because we're forbidden from playing with the occult. Pokemon Go. <laughs> something like that, exactly. But nowhere in Scripture can I see the connection made if you play. Like Israel played with the occult left, right, and center. No mention of them picking up demons, you know, um, and nowhere is anyone rebuked for being in the state they're in. That, that's all. I'm, that's all I was making the point. And so then, when I was getting to your question, I will get there. I'm just long-winded and I talk quick. I'll talk faster though, so that I can um, go to John eight. John eight, and we don't generally think of people this way, but the world breaks down uh, into two races: the sons of the devil and the sons of God, and that's how Jesus breaks it down in John eight in a challenging passage where he's talking to people who in some sense have some measure of faith in him because it picks up in verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. To which they take offense. They answered him, we're offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone except the Babylonians and the Romans and the Medo-Persians and the Greeks and the Philistines and Pharaoh and But aside from that, we've been enslaved to no one. Um, How do you say we will become free? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, and yet you seek to kill me, because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have heard with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him. Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, 
you would be doing the works that Abraham did. So notice the category of father of sonship is, is economic, functional. You're not acting like Abraham, so I'm not so sure you're his kids. Basically, true enough, genetically, you might be descended from Abraham, but you're not acting like him. You're acting like somebody else's kid. And he said, we are not born of sexual immorality. Verse 41, we have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if you, God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not on my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand? Jesus is going to make it really plain now. Okay, you're not tracking what I'm saying. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. And implicitly, you're trying to kill me. And he has nothing to do with the truth. And you're lying. Because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Because then he goes on. So you are of your father, the devil, your desires to do his will. What I get is those people who are not in the light, those people who are not Christians, who are not born again, are totally susceptible to the influence of Satan. They're, they're children of the devil. We were all formerly children of the devil, and our desire is to do his will. Go to Ephesians 2. This is Paul describing your and my former state prior to coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Chapter 2, verse 1. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following, serving the prince of the power of the air. Who's that? The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So the entire world, apart from Christ, is following after, subject to, the prince of the power of the air. So I just get the impression that, you know, in some sense, any unbeliever, potentially, this could happen to. I don't see any necessary tit-for-tat cause and effect. You mess with the Ouija board, you got the demon. You know, I don't see that biblically backable up. Back, wow, that's not even words. Me fail English? Unpossible. Um, that's all. I just want to challenge that assumption that so many people have. Does that make more sense, Donna, at all? So I'm, I'm, I'm just saying that there's either people who are following, subject to, influenced by, and are rightly called sons of the devil, and there are children of God. Those but are the, not born that way. No, we're all born. No, we're all born children of wrath. According, look, at, look at Ephesians 2. We're by nature children of wrath. That's our nature. That's how we came into this world. The word nature comes from natural. Our natural Nature entering into this world is described right there. And then what changes it is in the very next word, verse, verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So, so it's not a, a true statement to say we're all born of the devil until we become children of God. No, no, I would say we're all born children of the devil. The Psalms say the wicked go astray from the womb speaking lies. 
Um, David, in sin, my mother conceived me. To put it really simply, um, children couldn't die if they weren't sinners because death only spreads through sin. So therefore, death spread to all men because all sinned. Romans 5.12, only sinners can die. Jesus himself couldn't die until he took sin upon himself. Um, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. So we are born because of the sin of Adam, which we are all guilty of. In Adam, we all sinned. Because of that, we come into this world not innocent or neutral, but we come in and our nature is sinful and we are sinners. And because that's our nature, there's a power in the world that we we love the darkness, not the light. And who's the father of darkness? We come in with a bent. We come in with an inclination. We come in already, you know, loving sin and darkness. And so it's not until God changes that nature in us that we love Christ and become his children. So no, every one of us is born into this world a son of hell, a son of the devil, whatever biblical term you want to use. It's just not the way we... I mean, it's just babies are cute. (laughs) But they're cute sinners. They're vipers and diapers, man. Um, Okay, do you... Do you believe you, the parents here are saying amen? Okay, it's it's just the yes, yes. Do you believe people can be demon possessed today? Can you have demons? Because the reason I'm asking oh, you, okay. yeah, yeah. Um, a cousin's daughter and a friend of mine had this, a daughter, and they were both almost seemed like they were demon possessed. They would. Okay, this gets into what I was saying earlier. I was t- talking. This may not have been that clear in the message, so I'm, I was I'm glad to have a chance to clear up what I was saying. Um, I don't know what demons are up to today. They may very well be doing that. Here's, here's what I know. There's about 40 years of human history where we are told plainly people are demon-possessed. Now, that's not to say the demons aren't possessing people elsewhere. We just have no knowledge of it. And so when you look at somebody who's acting bizarrely, is that a demon? Is that a brain injury? Is that a judgment from God? No demons. Nebuchadnezzar went out and ate grass for seven years. Just a judgment from God. God gave him over to depraved mind. I don't know. Did they did they take some acid, bad acid, and that's why they're freaking out? I don't know. My point is, I don't I don't think nowhere in the epistles to the church, nowhere in God's instructions to the church, are we told that we need to identify the demons, that we need to do something about them. Now, Paul does say we are not fighting against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities of this world. Our, our war is against the kingdoms of darkness. We know that the demons are active, and the demonic world is active doing things. But it really seems like only when Jesus and the apostles are present in the Gospels and early on in the book of Acts, does enough light get shed to blow their cover and reveal specifically what they're up to. Does that make sense? Nowhere in the Old Testament is anyone said to be demon-possessed. Not to say they weren't, but the knowledge of who was, who wasn't, what the demons are up to is veiled. The closest you get is the evil spirit from the Lord that went to Saul. That might be an exposition, but but the, the fluidity of the language for evil could be harmful spirit. I mean, maybe the Lord just sent him like anxiety. I don't know. It could be a demon. We know the demons are at work, and they're at work now. I absolutely believe demons are at work doing things. I just have no sure way of being able to diagnose specifically what they're up to, nor do I have any instructions telling me how to do that or that I ought to do that. So what I'm trying to make is the point is this. Job, we are told, was specifically afflicted by Satan. Job, to our knowledge, did not know that. Job is never told that. And all Job does is deal with God. 
The Lord gave, the Lord took away. He talks to God. Why don't you curse God and die, his wife says. No, 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 no. Shall we receive good from the Lord and not ill? And in all that Job did, he did right in that. Job didn't need to figure out, is it Satan attacking me or whatever it is. He just deals with God. And so if you've got somebody who's acting strangely and bizarrely, could it be a demon? It could be. Could it be a judgment from God? It could be. Could it be something they ate? It could be. Could it be other things? It could be. Certainly. Certainly it could be. I don't know, and I have no sure way of knowing. Does does that make sense, Donna? That's all I'm trying to say. I'm not saying demons don't possess people. I'm just saying I don't know how to diagnose that, and I don't see anywhere in Scripture that's telling me I need to. I do see some people trying to go out and do exorcisms who had no business doing it, and they weren't very happy afterwards. They're the seven sons of Sceva. So what I do have is, uh, don't try this at home, kids. You know? <laughs> so unless God's told me to do it, and unless God's told me how to do it, I ain't going to try to do it. Because I don't think it'll ever be the case that we say, God, I don't know what's going on. This person seems deranged. <laughs> Could you help them? Not until you figure out whether it's a demon or not. Well, can, uh, just one more thing, and I'll be quiet. Yeah. Um, basically, demons are Satan, right? Demons are ordered. Demons are are Satan's minions. I mean, Satan fell with a third of the hosts of heaven. No, no, absolutely. Um, Well, I didn't even go into it in the message, but there's a whole bunch of people that make a big, big deal out of the fact that Jesus asked the demon's name. Because they say Jesus first has to ask the name, then he gets power over the demon. Well, first of all, the demons didn't tell him their name. None of the demons' names was legion. The, The saying we're legion is like saying, okay, which one of us do you want to know our names? There's many of us right? So there's not a single demon in this guy that I can think of whose name is Legion. He says, tell me your name. We are many, is what they're basically saying. And then he doesn't further clarify. I want, no, I'm get, Peter, get this down. We need to get all their names. It's going to take a while. No, the notion that you, you need to know the demon's name to gain power over is a pagan idea. Nothing you find in the Bible. This notion that names are power. You can find this all over a lot of Eastern religions and a lot of overall old paganism. This, this notion that knowing someone's name gives you power over them. Oh, yeah, that's pagan. That's not, what? Or fantasy books. Or fa- fantasy books. Oh, yeah. But they get, that straight out of, they get that straight out of paganism, yeah. And so they say, oh, and, no, and you can read books today from so-called demon possession exorcist people, and you've got to get the demon's name, and you've know, you got to get force the demon to tell you. This is the one place this happens, and they try to make this whole like protocol for demon exorcism from it, and they're totally missing the point. Now, if you're going to, you, you, Mike, microphone. Get this man a mic. Oh, he's got, oh, here we go. In fairness, the people who get caught up in this kind of thing are the people who have a hard time telling the difference between narrative and instruction. And that's easier on them? You're being No, I'm just saying that this is oh, that this okay. is the people who get caught up in the name the demon yeah, so that yeah. you can cast them out and bind them yeah. are generally the same people who look at certain things that did happen in the Bible and yes. assume that they're always consistent. Yeah, yeah. Let me let me give you a cough charismatics what? cough. <laughs> yeah, this is a good principle. Narrative is not normative. Narrative is not normative. Narrative is narrative. It's history. This is what has happened. And some unusual things that don't get repeated have happened. 
And so just because God told Saul to go after his master's donkeys and he would give him a new name and change him and give him power, this is not some pattern. No, but I've, I've been to churches. I've heard of this where like the way that they encouraged people to find their wives was to march around them seven times like the walls of Jericho and the walls of their heart would fall. And no, because you're reading narrative thinking this is supposed to be a pattern for us. No, no, if you think the narrative is something we're supposed to replicate and repeat. So they march around Jericho, I'll march around her seven times till the walls of her heart fall down. It sounds crazy, <laughs> right? But you've got to press that back into principle. Because I think we can be challenged to do the same thing. Either all scripture is profitable and inspired of God that teaches and instruct us and, and train us in righteousness so that we're competent for every good task or it's not. And if a good task that I must do is cast out demons, then either God hasn't told me what I need to know, or I'm supposed to make it up from reading the few encounters I have in the Gospels. I just don't think it's something I'm required to do. I I make no mistake, I'll be battling evil forces. I just won't know it when I'm doing it. I expect when I get to heaven to find out a better understanding of what was taking place behind the curtain the whole time. Just like Job has no idea what's going on. He just knows my family's dead and I'm sick and in pain. But he's faithful, and he fights spiritual warfare, and he succeeds. And then he gets to heaven, and he finds out that was Satan. Oh, wow. I mean, stuff's going on around us. Make no mistake. I just don't think we have any sure guide at knowing what. That's all I'm saying. It's probably a good thing. So please don't hear me say I don't think demons. They are. I just have no idea what they're up to. Um, And I don't think it's terribly helpful to spend lots of time, like, you know, trying to chasing them down and... Yes. Okay, Jeremy. Microphone to Jeremy, please. Oh, he's got got it. Uh, Do we have any sort of indication of how long Jesus was on this island? Seems like the story is a very quick... Well, yeah, it, this, um, it could have been most of the afternoon. There's enough time. Now, the, Luke emphasizes that his foot touches ground, and then as soon as this man sees him, he shriekingly runs to him. So the guy falling at his feet is quick. That happened within a minute or two. Right, and I guess my question is, uh, the, the demoniac who's been yes. healed, in a manner of speaking, asked to go with Jesus... And Jesus says, no, you stay here and tell people what, you've, what's, what yes. God has done for you. Yes. All the demoniac knows at this point is that he had a demon and doesn't now. No. What in the world kind of no, ministry no, no, no. can this guy have? That is a great question, Jeremy, but I think we can piece together more than that. Okay. Don't miss. No, no. Go back to Luke 8. Great. Great question. Let me ask you this question. Prior to Jesus' death on the cross, what is the gospel? What does John the Baptist preach when he preached the kingdom of God? Savior's coming. coming. Okay. The word for healed, by the way, in here is sozo. It does mean saved, but delivered. This man's been saved by Jesus, not saved in... The focus isn't on... Yeah, But there's enough time, and this is possibly up to, you know, miles away from the cities... There's enough time for the herdsmen to go all the way out, not just to the city, Luke says, but also to the countryside, for all those people to hear word, and then all those people to come back. I'm guessing that's a couple hours, at least. I'm guessing that's the better part of the afternoon, or morning, or whatever it is. So you've got hours of time for whatever he's learning here. But notice in Luke 8, right at the end of this, 
Um, hold on. There it is. Verse 38, um, 39. Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Do you get that parallelism? Luke wants us to see by that parallelism, this man has understood that Jesus is God. I don't know if it's, again, this is speculation. I don't know if he gets some insight in what the demons knew because they were in him. And so who they knew Jesus to be, he now knows him to be. Somehow he's figured out Jesus is God. So here's what he knows. God's son, because you're the son of the most high, God's son has come into this world and God's son has come and he delivered me. I think that'll do. You know, in regards to before the cross, I mean, John the Baptist's message wasn't much more clear other than tying into the Hebrew scriptures. Yeah, I think the thing that I wasn't thinking about is in this time, now this might be a little bit different because they're on a Gentile group of islands or whatever, but... but they're They're not islands, it's a group of cities. In this cities. region, ten cities in this region are towns. For the most part, though, the the Jews knew the scriptures. Yes, they just hadn't assigned Jesus as the Messiah yet. Right, right. And so by by him being able to say, "Oh, this is the Messiah," he now knows. Yeah, this. but even though this is Gentile territory, they're still within the land of Israel, so there could be some familiarity. But this guy's got a message: God's Son, the Son of the Most High, is Jesus. He's come into this world and he saved me. And he has, he has healed and made me whole. I, I think this side of the cross, that'll do. Yeah, it's just normally the, the uh, miracles aren't, you know, don't provide saving faith. They just no. draw attention to yes. something. No, no, no. And so, mir- so when I was thinking about, hey, this, this man saved me, and so I'm going to tell everybody about it, and then, and then what? I mean, you draw their attention, and then what? But they already know as long as... as if they're in the land, they, they almost certainly have some understanding. At the very least, the Jews are expecting somebody or other. I mean, but, but again, what seems clear is, and this is hard for us to grasp, this side of the cross, the message that must be received by faith under the new covenant is the message, according to Paul, is of first importance that Jesus Christ came according to the scriptures, died on the cross for our sins according to the scriptures, and rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. A very specific level of content. In the old covenant, which is technically what we're in prior to the death of Jesus, you go to Hebrews 11 and you track down what all these men of faith believed, much smaller, narrower. I mean, in other words, what's always been unchanging is God says something, God reveals something, and you respond by faith. Abraham just believed that God would bless him and he should go to this land. Joseph just believed, bury my bones in in, in the land of Canaan, not... That's what Hebrews 11 highlights for Joseph. God promised us a land, even though I'm the top, second to top dog in Egypt, I'm going to identify with God's people in that land. I'll believe that promise and trust in that, bear my bones there. Okay, great, righteousness. You know what I mean? So John the Baptist is... Just, he, the Messiah is coming. The, the Messiah is just about here, and that's his message. And people believed it and were saved because this is genuine revelation from God through his prophet. So this guy's got a message. Jesus is the son of the most high God. Jesus has power to save. I, yes, Lee. Well, in verse 35, it does say they, they, he was sitting at the feet of Jesus. He was cleaned up. He was sitting there. Who, knows I guess, what he, who right. else sat at the feet of Jesus? Right, the disciples. Yeah. Who, who, and then we have no idea to know what he learned in the hours it must have taken for these herdsmen to spread out, get the word around everyone else to come back. So... So, no, that's a great question, Jeremy. That's a great question. But there's certainly time for a fair amount of information to be transferred. 
Yes. I have a question like about once Jesus heals, that is it permanent healing for his lifetime or can like demons go back into him later if he sins or does bad things? Um, that's another good question. Um, the biggest reason why we can be convinced that Christians cannot be demon-possessed is because God lives in us in the Spirit, this side of the covenant. This guy would not be indwelt by the Holy Spirit, but I certainly think by being coming to saving faith in Jesus and being commissioned, he's going to be free from demon possession, but not for the reasons that we would be. Um, not that we can't be afflicted, I mean, tempted, I mean, Satan didn't possess Job, but he certainly threw a bunch of junk at him. I mean, it doesn't mean we're immune from suffering due to demons. I think specifically, greater is he who is within you than he who is without. There can be no agreement. If the Holy Spirit's taken up residence, there are no demons. But no, I, I definitely think in this context, the display of power commanding them out of him, this guy's, this guy's not going to be repossessed. We never hear about him again. We don't even know his name. Um, but I like to think that he was faithful. I mean, he at least initially was faithful, right? I mean, it says he went out and proclaimed. Um, where is it? Um, I'm in Luke 9. Sorry, I've got to go back to the next chapter back. The man returned and proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. So this guy's been faithful. Yeah, I, I, I think he's safe. Certainly for anyone this side of the New Covenant, this one, anyone's this side of Acts 2, if you have the Holy Spirit, you can't be demon-possessed. I, I was just saying that that can't be a complete comfort to us. Job wasn't possessed, right. but he lost everything and was afflicted personally yes. and physically yes. and mentally. Yes. So, that, I mean, that's kind of a an unimportant... Uh, point, demon possession is yes, yes. The fact that we don't have it isn't much comfort. Well, the only reason I think the one comfort it is is I've met people who are terribly afraid that some wicked or evil impulse is going to pop into their head or mind due to a demon or something, and they've lived with a lot of anxiety about um, something like that. That I mean, what if they lose control? What if I do something terrible? Um, no, no, I mean, maybe you haven't met anyone who's struggled with that. I have. And so the, the certainty that, no, a demon cannot take up residence within you. You can get a lot of pain and suffering. But they can whisper in your ear. They can try to tempt you, but unless that's in your heart to resonate. But I mean, I'm talking about people just afraid they're going to do terrible things. You know, um, and just afraid. What if, what if suddenly I want to kill everyone in this room? I, I really don't. Who hasn't had that happen? <laughs> <laughs> um... So one of the particular trials we won't ever have to suffer is that what's described here is they would seize control of him, and then he would be helpless in what he does. Um, so of all the things we can fear, and we can be sawn in two, and we can be boiled in oil, and you can read Fox's Book of Martyrs and all the pleasant things that could happen, what can't happen is you can't be seized control of by a demon and helpless in its grasp, being driven to and fro into the... That can't happen. So it might be a small comfort, but I still think it's a comfort, um, for some at least. So, okay. We are at time. Any burning questions? Did someone need to ask something, or should we go? Huh. Let's end on that note. What? Can we leave now? Can we leave now?
Uh, <laughs> okay, we're gonna we're gonna end it here. Thank you very much. God bless. <laughs>